my goodness. Good morning, good afternoon. Whatever it is for you, I hope you're having a fantastic day. My name is Zach Schaumler. This is Strong Opinion Sports, episode 516. Welcome into the podcasting pickup. It's lightly raining outside. I would imagine you can't hear it in the background because I can't even hear it in my headphones. If I can't hear it in my headphones, you probably, I'm certain, cannot hear it through the microphone. But welcome in. The vibes are cool. It's low-key. I want to talk about Thursday night football to start the show. Let's go there now. On Thursday night football, the Baltimore Ravens beat the Tampa Bay Buccaneers 27-22. to The Ravens are now 5-3. and uh, Tom Brady and Tampa have now fallen to three and five. They're at risk of not even being first in their division. In fact, I'm pretty sure no matter what happens in the Carolina-Atlanta game, uh, that team takes the lead in the division. Even if Carolina somehow gets to three and five, I think they actually would be tied but have a better record in the division. So, um, you know, my number one takeaway from last night on Thursday Night Football was that it felt like the new era of quarterbacks beating the old era of quarterbacks. Not only in there's a new wave of quarterbacks, Mahomes, Herbert, Lamar Jackson, Joe Burrow, and we're we're watching our heroes that we watched, uh, for at least I did growing up, Ben Roethlisberger, Tom Brady. I know I'm dating myself, but there's been a generation of quarterbacks. Aaron Rodgers, Tom Brady, Peyton Manning, I would throw in there, Phillip Rivers, Matt Ryan even. They're, They're moving on, and the new generation is in. But that's not the only way I mean that. It's not just young versus old. It's a playing style. Tom Brady against Lamar Jackson. Lamar's ability to move around was the difference in that football game. Avoiding sacks, extending plays, working through progressions if nothing's there, rolling out one direction or the other and keeping the play alive. Quarterback mobility is becoming something that, look, I guess it's not entirely necessary, but man, I would not want a quarterback who couldn't run around and make plays outside the pocket. If your quarterback can't run around when receivers aren't open, then you're missing out. Like Lamar turns plays into touchdowns and and that for Tom Brady would have been a sack or the play would have died. Like if Tom Brady would have got sacked or had to throw the ball away, Lamar makes someone miss, keeps the play alive, and literally multiple times threw a touchdown last night where you're like, okay, that's Lamar being different, being special. I don't know. Did Lamar actually throw for more than one touchdown? I don't know that he did. Ravens. Uh, Buccaneers. That's like one of those little details that, okay, he did have two touchdown passes. I'm not crazy. But my point is that his ability to extend plays keeps drives alive. They're converting third downs. It's a big deal. And this felt like the older generation and a different style of quarterback winning last night. And not every quarterback is Lamar Jackson. I realize that. Lamar is the most dangerous quarterback with the football in his hands running in the NFL. But I think about guys like, you know, Zach Wilson can extend plays. Kenny Pickett can move around. You know, young quarterbacks like Mac Jones, who, um, you know, Mac Jones can't even run around a little bit, right? Like, he's not going to extend plays. And Mac Jones is an outdated style of quarterback. And if I was drafting in the NFL, I would want a quarterback who can run around and extend plays. I'm like, man, there's so many out there that can do that. I want that trait. I want that skill set. And if my quarterback doesn't have that, that's a harder sell. And I think, you know, Davis Mills is a quarterback for Houston that, man, he's pretty good. Like, he makes good decisions. He's got a better arm than people give him credit for. 20 years ago, Davis Mills is viewed as a franchise quarterback. But Davis Mills, you know, later, you know, third-round pick, and he can't run around. Houston's going to replace him. If they get a shot at Bryce Young, they're going to take it. 
because Bryce Young can do stuff that Davis Mills physically is unable to do. So that, it wasn't Young versus Old last night, it was Mobile versus Immobile. And the Mobile quarterback won, and I don't think that's a surprise. That's the way the NFL is trending, and the direction football is headed, in my opinion. You look at, if you're a high school football coach, I'm putting the very best athlete on my football team at quarterback. I'll teach him how to throw. I'll teach him how to, how to play quarterback. But there are certain things you cannot teach, and that's the ability to run around. Lamar has it. Josh Allen has it. Zach Wilson has it to some degree. There's a lot of quarterbacks that have it, and the ones that don't, they're outdated. There's a reason Mac Jones is struggling. All right, uh, the Baltimore Ravens are in a good spot. They're 5-3. and three. They're first in the AFC North. Uh, it was a long week. Uh, sorry, they're going to have a long week ahead until their next game, New Orleans, because of playing on Thursday night. They get a couple extra days. Then after the New Orleans game on the road, Baltimore gets a bye week. So they have a lot of time off coming up. They have one game and basically three weeks off in the next couple weeks. And um, they're also adding Deshaun Jackson at receiver. So Baltimore right now entirely is in a great spot. Man, Lamar, he really did do such a great job. Like There were plays where he worked across the field. Nothing's open, so read one, read two, read three, and my primary isn't there, working across the, the progression, nothing's open, and then he, he extends the play, and it's like, man, that's so cool to see. And there was a great moment after the game, Lamar's leaving the field in the tunnel, and someone had a sign that said, pay Lamar. And he, he, he ran out of the tunnel, but he saw it, and then he came back out of the tunnel and said, hand me the sign. He grabs the sign, looks around, waits until someone throws him a marker. He signs it, gives it back to the fan. I think Lamar agrees with that message. Pay Lamar. Kind of like that. I would love to see that be a recurring theme through the rest of the year. People bring pay Lamar signs. He sees them. He acknowledges them, gives them special attention. That's a great way to like subtly say, hey, you know, let's, how about we take care of me? I'm doing really well. I'm winning your games. I'm pretty special. Uh, I, it's a message I agree with. Pay Lamar. And uh, that's cool to see. I mean, that's a whole can of worms. People are like, the amount, he's overrated, blah, 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 blah. I, I don't care. I, I want to see Lamar Jackson make generational wealth and be set for life, and I want his kids to be set for life, and uh, I, I root for guys to get contracts. I think it's awesome. Now, um, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers are 3-5 and five after Thursday Night Football. Uh, they've been at the top of the NFC South, and fortunately their division isn't very good, although... Again, I believe no matter what happens, they're going to lose because if Carolina goes 3-5, and five, they've got a better record in the division. And if Atlanta goes 4-4, four and four, they are solely atop the division at 4-4. Four and four. So the question really is, can from 3-5 and five right now, can Tom Brady and Tampa fix things and get back on track? The short answer is yes. Yeah, absolutely. The Buccaneers can fix things and get back on track. It's Tom Brady. It's Tampa. They've got a lot of talent. Remember, they lost their head coach this offseason. They've had some turmoil. They just lost Shaq Barrett to an injury. But I, they have time to figure it out. And again, it helps that New Orleans is 2-5. and five. They suck. Uh, Carolina's 2-5. and five. They're bad. Atlanta is probably the best team in the division outside of Tampa. Um, and they're not going to... I believe Tampa can finish with a better record than the Atlanta Falcons. And if you don't, that's a problem. Really, all you got to do is get it into the playoffs. And if you do that, um, you know, I think Tom Brady learned from playing Eli Manning in the Super Bowl. Who Remember, the Giants were like a wild card team. They weren't that great. And they beat Tom Brady in the Super Bowl. So all you got to do is get into the dance. 
And if you make it into the dance, you can find the prettiest girl and, and dance with her. Or prettiest guy, if you roll that way. My point is, you got to make the playoffs. If you do that, then you get hot at the end of the year. You still can win the Super Bowl. In fact, that's what happened the first year Tom Brady was in Tampa when they won the Super Bowl. They had kind of an ugly year where they got hot at the end. They went on a run. They won the Super Bowl. Now, I do not believe at all it's a coincidence that after the game, after the loss, by the way, Tom Brady announced that he has officially divorced Giselle. Have you been watching Tom Brady on the sidelines? I have. He's my favorite player, was my favorite player growing up. Tom Brady has looked stressed. He's been pressing. The body language has been bad, destroying tablets. Every time they cut, you know, they cut to him on the sideline, he's yelling, he's angry, he's upset, he's got a scowl on his face. He's he's been having a hard time. And he's looked like a guy that's been going through a lot. And I know that because I've been that guy going through a lot outside of work, at home. And you know, I, I empathize with Tom, and I think now he's going to try to put the drama aside and focus on football. That's a massive, massive, painful distraction. I know because I was engaged last football season, and I got uh, I called off my engagement in December, in the middle of football season. It was brutal. It was really hard to work, but also it allowed me to kind of flush it and focus on football, and it was a great thing. I'm not trying to compare, I mean, I did, but I'm not saying like it's the same as divorcing your wife of 13 years. But my point is when you got a really hard thing going on outside of work, it can be really hard to perform at work. I hope and I think he's dealt with it enough to move forward now. Physically, Tom Brady can still play football. He doesn't look like a guy who's going to be done after this year. looks like Tom Brady's still going to play football for a lot longer even. And Tom has said... He wants to finish on top with the Super Bowl. I don't know that that's going to happen this year. It's likely it won't. But again, all Tom Brady has to do is make a playoff run. They got to make it in and then get hot at the end of the year. And they certainly have enough talent. I mean, they have talented guys that can win one-on-one matchups. So uh, this talented football team, I I feel like it's, it's not too late yet for Tom Brady and Tampa to figure stuff out. Uh, We've got two questions from the audience that are related to this topic. I want to read them early. We'll do Ask Zach later. But if you want to submit questions on Patreon, you go to patreon.com forward slash Zach Schaumler. Let me open up my notes. And while I do that, uh, we're a bit zoomed out on the camera. I think I I knocked. Let's see. Hmm. I don't like the. I don't, you know. hmm. I think I need to tilt the camera down a little bit. It's a little high, to be totally honest. But hmm, hmm, what do we think? It's a little, it's a little high, isn't it? It's like a lot of, a lot of headroom above me. I'm gonna fix this. Give me one second. Once again, Patreon.com forward slash Zach Schaumler. Question number one today is from Nate. Nate says, "What's up, Zach? So the Buccaneers and Green Bay are both tire fires right now." But as we know, the NFL is a long season and a lot can happen. Which of these teams is more likely to make the NFC title game, in your opinion? So it's more than likely Tampa's 3-5 and five right now. Uh, Green Bay plays at Buffalo this week. So it's likely that after NFL Week 8 this weekend, Green Bay and Tampa are both going to be 3-5. and five. Who can recover from 3-5? and five? Well, I mean, hey, How much do you trust Minnesota? I think 
I think they're actually pretty good. I, I think Minnesota's got more weapons. They're a better football team than the Packers. Um, but also, who's a better team head-to-head? Tampa or Green Bay? I don't know that Green Bay is going to win their division. I, Tampa definitely is the best team in their division and can. And Tampa has way more talent than Green Bay. They've got guys all over the field that can win one-on-one matchups. Offense, defense, offensive line, running back, receiver especially. Like, the maybe the strength of the Buccaneers football team is their receiving core, and, and the weakness of Green Bay is their receiving core. And we've learned recently in you know watching Joe Burrow take Cincinnati to a Super Bowl last year, receiver might be the most valuable position in the NFL outside of quarterback. So... I think Tampa is way, way more likely to go to an NFC title and maybe even the Super Bowl. Who's going to lose to Buffalo or Kansas City? Who's going to be the sacrificial lamb from the NFC? It still might be Tampa, to be totally honest. Now, Zach writes in. Hi, other Zach. He spells it with an H. Uh, remember, I, I got I used to spell my name in fifth grade, Z-A-C-H, and I dropped the H because I got bullied in fifth grade, Zatch. Yes, my insecurity goes deep. It started as early on as fifth grade when I got bullied and called Zatch. And I'm like, you know what? I got a solution. I'll drop the H. So I went to Zach now for the rest of my life. Here we are. So Zach, who spells it differently? Not wrong. Nothing wrong. We got we Zachs. There's very few of us. We got to stick together. But Zach with the H says, hey, Zach, two things. One, the remaining questions about Mahomes without Tyreek need to stop. I agree. But two is what I want to focus on. He says, I think getting more likely that Tom Brady, I think it's getting more likely that Tom Brady will retire at the end of the year. He's not looking like he's entirely focused on football. What do you think Brady will do after the year is done? What do I think Tom Brady is going to do after this year? Now, Zach, you wrote this question earlier in the week before he officially divorced from Giselle. Zach, I agree. Tom Brady wasn't entirely focused on football. He had a personal crisis going on. Uh, and a personal crisis is very difficult. It's hard to deal with, and it's hard to focus on work. You got a lot of other stuff pulling at your attention, making your life more difficult. Hey, <laughs> your boy Zach knows what that's like more than I think a lot of people. Um, so I, I think he wasn't entirely focused. Now he can be. I think Tom Brady is going to keep playing football. He's talked about how he wants to go out on top. He wants to win a Super Bowl. Let's be honest, Tom Brady is way, way more physically able to play and in better shape and got a better arm than Peyton Manning was in Peyton Manning's final year in the NFL. Peyton Manning went out on top. He won a Super Bowl. That dude was limping his way, barely able to play quarterback. Tom Brady's way better than Peyton Manning was at the end of Peyton Manning's Manning's career. I don't see any reason for Tom Brady to walk away and stop playing football. I think he's had a lot going on, and you got to give him patience, give him some space, but... I think he's going to come back better than ever. I I imagine there's a, for like, I, I've got this dual thought going on in my head. I imagine there's a moment where they divorce. He has to get like some kind of condo high rise in Tampa. And I, I envision a sad, lonely Tom Brady. I kind of laugh because it's, it's uncomfortable to talk about like a sad, lonely Tom Brady at like 11 o'clock PM watching film by himself. Like, hmm. Did I make the right call? And I think he did. I've talked a lot about it. I did a whole topic recently about Tom Brady's divorce and how, you know, when, when someone you're with gives you an ultimatum, that's not a loving thing to do. Friends don't give friends ultimatum. If your spouse gives you an ultimatum, I don't think that's fair. I don't think that's cool. It's happened to me before. It's it's horrible to do to someone. Um, and 
you know, I, I think his relationship started to feel like an obstacle rather than a place where he was supported and cared for. Um, so I, and I, I can't fathom telling Tom Brady, you got to stop playing football. Like that's the thing he's best at in the world and the thing he loves the most. And she said, what do you love more, me or football? Are you going to pick football over me? And he said, bet. <laughs> and I, I don't think that's wrong. You can find someone who lets him be him and do the things that he loves and doesn't constantly want him to change and be something he's not. Um, the one thing that's been frustrating is like people say, well, he didn't choose his kids, his family. Oh, man. You know, d- doesn't everybody work at a job? Everybody works. Like, that's what you do. Uh, to say he's not choosing his family because he's choosing to do his job is kind of weird. I don't know, man. Like, I don't, I think the Tom Brady bad dad stuff is a bit unfair. Like, we don't really know what he's like as a dad. Like, that's such an unfair thing to say about Tom Brady. I really don't like that one that I've seen people say a lot. Um, he definitely chose football over his wife, who very publicly wanted him to retire. But I, I don't think that's a fair thing to do to your husband to say, like, or, or your wife either, by the way. Like, to say, I, I want you to stop doing this. And, and I don't know. It just, if you think that we disagree and we've got a different stance and I think I'm a little more um, open to divorce because my parents got divorced and it was the greatest thing that ever happened because their marriage was terrible and uh, both my parents have been better off since their divorce. So I, I've, I'm a child of divorce and I've seen divorce be a very positive thing and a good thing. I don't think it's healthy to stay in a bad marriage that isn't working. And I didn't mean to go on a rant about um, marriage, but my point is I think this stuff has been weighing on Tom Brady. It's very hard. I would, I would, I would imagine that, right? I think he's going to be better than football, better on the football field now without that hanging over his head. And the word that comes to mind is is unshackled, right? Like he's now free. He can play as long as he wants without guilt, without someone telling him to quit all the time. I, I think Tom Brady's better off. Um, and I, you know, I don't know. I, th- I think Tom Brady's freed a little bit of that stress and that drama, and it might be better off for his football career. He's going to play until he wants to stop playing. No one's going to tell Tom Brady when to stop, and I, I don't think anyone should. I don't think that's – I think that's cool. I think it's totally – I don't know why that's not part of the narrative is that it's totally inappropriate to tell someone to stop doing the thing they love. Like I just – unless you're hurting someone, I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't really get it. Like Giselle didn't want to wait. She wanted a guy to pay attention to her. I also understand her perspective, but – I mean as a, that's also, by the way, everything I just said, that's the little we know. We know very little, and I'm not going to talk about it much more. But I do think like we could see Tom Brady bounce back and have a better rest of the year now that that's dealt with. Because, again, I've been in that similar situation. Go, In fact, um, two football seasons in a row now I've gone through a breakup. <laughs> Believe it or not. No, I guess it's three three football seasons ago and then last football season I went through a breakup. So I, I basically every relationship I have implodes during football season. We'll see if I can ever change that. I'm trying to be a little more healthy, take care of myself, sleep more, um, not be a workaholic. But I know what it's like to go through that, and it's really difficult, and it's really painful. Um, 2019 and 2021, two breakups in three years during football season. Anyway, um, last night I also watched Utah beat Washington State. Utah won 21-17. to Utah kind of surprised the football world by starting their backup quarterback, Bryce Barnes. Um, their starter, Cam Rising, was in uniform. He did warm-ups as the starting quarterback and then suddenly didn't play. And he was in full uniform with a yellow, like, 
jersey on basically or yellow what do you call it like a like a penny what do they what do they call that kind of jersey anyway he didn't play and college injury reporting is different than the NFL there's more privacy it's actually easier to not disclose information and get a tactical advantage on the other team i believe Kentucky did that earlier this year against South Carolina they didn't really tell anyone that Will Levis was hurt but he walked out in a boot and didn't play and they're like oh what we didn't expect that at all Kentucky didn't win that game, but Utah did. And I think, um, I don't know how much it would affect your game planning to, to game plan for Bryce Barnes instead. But that was an interesting wrinkle that Utah pulled off. And Utah won with a backup quarterback, Bryce Barnes, who played very well, by the way. Bryce Barnes, round of applause. Had a, a great game, threw a touchdown pass. Um, I walked away just with this little note. I absolutely love watching Washington State quarterback Cameron Ward. His pocket movement, his different arm angles, he makes a ton of big-time throws really easily. He can run around. He's a joy to watch. He's a future NFL quarterback. He's someone that should be on your radar if he's not already. He's only a sophomore, by the way, Cameron Ward, the quarterback at Washington State. He is a stud. And Washington State struggled to protect him. He was under a pressure a, a ton. Didn't have the best game of his career. He fumbled twice. He lost one of those fumbles. He recovered the other. Notice I didn't say Cameron Award had a bad game, by the way. I said he didn't have the best game of his career. It's not like he played terrible. There's so much potential there. I mean, Cameron Ward was 27 for 31 passing. The dude only had four incompletions, threw two touchdown passes. Or I guess, you know, he ran for one and he threw one. Um, but, like, Cameron Ward is awesome. They lost the game. I walked away. Washington State made a weird decision late in this game. Washington State was down 21 to 14 with five minutes left in the game. It was fourth and 14, and they kicked a 42 yard field goal. They never got the ball back after that moment, by the way. Washington State lost 21 to 17. So that field goal was just pointless. I don't know why you kicked that field goal there. It's weird, in my opinion, not to go for it in that situation. Five minutes left, fourth and 14. You're betting on the fact that your team can get the ball back. And you didn't. You, you know, later, Utah converted a big fourth down where they got a pass interference penalty. They, they kneeled after that. But, le- like, let's say, I don't know what the advantage of kicking that field goal is because it's still a four-point game. Like, you still need a touchdown. Fourth and 14, you kick a field goal. You're down four points. Another, it's like another field goal helps you. So, I, why? Why not try to convert and tie the game with a touchdown? I just, you know, it's... It was a totally unhelpful field goal. I didn't really understand the decision-making there. Betting on the fact you're going to get the ball back. So what? Even if you do get the ball back, you still need a touchdown. Like, I just, I don't know why you kicked the field goal on 4th and 14. You lost by a little less. Congratulations. It was very weird. Uh, But shout-out to backup quarterback uh, for Utah, Bryce Barnes. Awesome game from him, and I walked away with a lot of respect, and he played really, really well. All right, um... I have a new theory on why the Carolina Panthers fired their head coach, Matt Rule. Originally, I thought it was because they had some kind of target in mind that they wanted to hire. The example I threw out was maybe they're going to target Sean Payton, the former coach of the New Orleans Saints. Now, that's not a great theory because their division rival, New Orleans, still has his rights and they'd have to agree to trade him to Carolina. Their division rival, I don't think that's going to happen. So, um... Also, I believe it's less because they have a target in mind. And I think they fired Matt Rule more because it was Carolina admitting 
they were wrong. They're saying, hey, our philosophy was bad. By the way, targeting a specific coach or a specific hire is problematic anyway because of the Rooney rule. You're not really allowed to publicly predetermine your hire in the NFL. You're supposed to interview people and give everyone a fair shot. Uh, Carolina really, I think, just realized that they were wrong. Their mantra for years has been, hey, rebuilding is going to take five to seven years. It's going to take a long time for us to win games in Carolina. That's what Matt Rule said. That's what the owner, David Tepper, said. However, we see, you know, we keep seeing first-year NFL head coaches doing well and winning. Nick Sirianni took Philly to the playoffs last year in year one. The Giants are 6-1 and one under new head coach Brian Dable. Mike McDaniel is doing well for Miami. Minnesota is 5-1 and one under a first-year head coach Kevin O'Connell. It goes on and on. The reality is that winning doesn't take five years. And if you hire the right coach, you can even win in year one. The Carolina Panthers have changed their philosophy. That is my belief. So I think that's, I think it was them admitting, hey, this whole five-year thing was kind of dumb, kind of wrong. David Tepper, the owner, changed his mind and said, I got to reevaluate and get a better plan because clearly it doesn't take five years to win in the NFL. Philadelphia, Miami, Minnesota. You know, the reality is, again, you can win with a new head coach in the NFL and it doesn't take years to build a winning program. That's what Matt Rule did. He took years to build Temple. He took years to win in Baylor. We thought a similar thing might happen here. That's why Carolina hired him. But they, they've updated their philosophy and said, ah, we were wrong. By the way, the name to keep your eye on is Kansas City offensive coordinator Eric Bieniemy. Dude, they need an offensive head coach, in my opinion. It's a guy out there. Andy Reid has an amazing coaching tree. The guys who have coached under Andy Reid have won a lot. Super Bowls, playoff appearances, won a lot of games. If you have worked under Andy Reid, the likelihood is you're going to end up being a good head coach. It's like insane how many guys have worked under Andy Reid and have gone on to succeed after working with him. I think he teaches guys how to be a good head coach. Eric Bieniemy is next. I don't know why he hasn't been hired yet. This offseason, though, he's going to go somewhere. If I'm Carolina, I'm trying to make a move and go get Eric Bieniemy. All right. Um, this weekend, this weekend is college football week nine. It's a big weekend. There are nine games I'm very excited to watch. The biggest game to me personally is number 19, Kentucky, at number three, Tennessee, it's going to be awesome. Tennessee is 7-0. They're trying to stay undefeated. That stadium is going to be wild and fun and exciting. Uh, before they play at Georgia next week, they got to stay undefeated. So keep your eye on what happens with Kentucky at Tennessee. Kentucky's 5-2. They're a decent football team. they got a pretty good quarterback, Will Levis. I expect a good game here in the SEC. Game number two is number two-ranked Ohio State at number 13-ranked Penn State. Penn State is 6-1, and one, but I still expect Ohio State to win easily. I, uh, I'm excited to watch Ohio State quarterback C.J. Stroud. I think Ohio State is a much better football team here. But C.J. Stroud, let's move to talking about the crowd, which is, I think, going to be— Sorry, that was stupid. I, I, I felt like Stroud and crowd kind of flow together, and I ruined it. Um, you know, the crowd at Penn State should be insane. I, I remember there's a video a couple years ago— Michigan at Penn State, they were going insane. It was really fun. And I, I expect something similar here. I think it's going to be a fun game to watch with a great atmosphere. And uh, 
I, unfortunately, I think the great atmosphere is going to be wasted on a loss at home by Penn State. But nonetheless, I hope, I'm hope i hoping, cross your fingers, Penn State hosting Ohio State is going to be fun. But I think Ohio State is going to kind of walk away with this one in the end. Game number three is Michigan State at Michigan. Michigan is undefeated. They're the number four team in the country. They're trying to stay undefeated until they play Ohio State, which they will probably lose to Ohio State. But, hey, keep your eye on that. It's a big rivalry game, though, because I believe, I think I'm right. I think they play for the Paul Bunyan Trophy at Michigan State. Is that right? Someone correct me if I'm wrong. The Paul Bunyan Trophy? That sounds right. I, I, I know my football pretty well, I think. Um, it's a huge test for Michigan, though, because Jim Harbaugh is 3-4 and four against Michigan State. However, he's never beat Mel Tucker, the current head coach at Michigan State. Uh, he's 0-2 against him. So you never beat their current head coach. I know Michigan State is 3-4, and four, but they definitely should not be counted out of this game because, in my opinion, Michigan's got to prove it. And I hope they do. Michigan, prove it. Prove to me why you deserve my respect with a big win here. And if you win by 40, I'll go, oh, maybe Michigan's different. If Michigan barely survives Michigan State, I'm going to go, Come on. Come on. You expect me to think you barely survived Michigan State and you can beat Ohio State? No, no, no. If you want me to have any confidence you can beat Ohio State, you win this game by like 40 points. That's what should happen. I don't think it's going to happen. Michigan might even win, but I think it's going to be a squeaker. And uh, I'm excited to see if Michigan can prove me wrong. Notre Dame plays at number 16 Syracuse. Syracuse is 6-1. and one. Uh, their only loss is to Clemson. I think it's a game worth tracking Notre Dame. Uh, they're struggling without their head coach, Brian Kelly. He left to go to LSU. I think the Notre Dame brand is kind of overrated. So keep your eye on what happens between Notre Dame and number 16, Syracuse. You probably won't watch it, but like, hey, just on your app when you're checking ESPN or checking CBS Sports, just look and see what's happening in that game. I think it's worth tracking. Uh, Florida plays at number one, Georgia. It's a rivalry game. They play in Jacksonville every year. It's near the border. It's going to be fun. Uh, I enjoy watching Georgia quarterback Stetson Bennett. He's fun. He's got a great story. But Florida quarterback Anthony Richardson, man, might be the most physically gifted quarterback in all of college football. He's got a massive arm. He can run. I worry he's going to struggle against a really good Georgia defense. He's still a work in progress for sure. Um, But I'm going to watch this game. I think Georgia wins, but... I'm excited. You know, Billy Napier has never played Georgia. It's first you know, year one at Florida, and we'll see what happens. I'm really excited to see how things go uh, for Billy Napier uh, in his first ever rivalry game, the, the the border rivalry with Georgia. All right, we got two more left. Number nine, Oklahoma State plays at number 22, Kansas State. Six and one is Oklahoma State. K-State is five and two. Uh, I think it's going to be a fun Big 12 game. I love Big 12 football. It's it's indulgent. It's high scoring. It's a lot of offense. I think if you want to watch a fun, dramatic game, you watch Oklahoma State at K-State this weekend. And then you got Pittsburgh at number 21, North Carolina. I'm a huge fan of Keaton Slovis. I want to watch my guy Keaton Slovis this weekend. Uh, I think it's a great opportunity to do that, and we will see what happens. All right. Um, so security... This is my last time ever recording in this parking lot. I'm at a mall. Like, you, I'm at, screw it, I'll say it. I'm at the Vancouver Mall. I'll never record here again, so I don't really care. Um, they leave me alone. They, they interrupted me one time at like four in the morning. They're like, what are you doing here? I'm like, I'm recording a podcast. They asked me to leave, whatever. This episode 
I, if I seem distracted, they have driven by like nine times. What do they think I'm doing in here that they, they need to drive by over and over again? Like, I don't, I don't really understand. I'm just, I'm in a parking lot recording a podcast. I don't know why. There they go again. I mean, it seems like they don't want me here. I have like 30 minutes left and I'm going to leave and I'm never coming back here. So I don't really care. Um, but a man's got to do what he's got to do. He's got to record a podcast podcast in his truck. Then he's got to record a podcast in his truck and, uh, life goes on. Now, uh, on to the NFL. We have reached NFL week eight. It's a big weekend. There are eight really interesting games that I can't wait to see, uh, you know, take place. We will see if there are any other games that grab my attention. Like I, you know, I'm, I'm always curious. I have an open mind. Sometimes games are better than we think. Uh, but the game that I think I'm most excited for is the Patriots playing on the road at New York against the Jets. The Jets are five and two. They've won four games in a row. They are 4-0 with Zach Wilson as their starting quarterback. Remember, he was injured during training camp, had minor knee surgery, came back a couple weeks ago. They're 4-0 with him as their quarterback. And on the other side, the Patriots are in a bad spot. The Patriots are 3-4. I think they have a quarterback controversy. They started Mac Jones. He played three series last week, two three and outs, and an interception. I think now Jets-Patriots are starting to feel like a legit rivalry game. Uh, The Patriots have dominated it for years, but... The Jets look pretty good. The Patriots look like they're down bad, and I just can't wait to see what happens. Does Bailey Zappi play? Does Mac Jones have a great game? Does Mac Jones play bad? I have no idea. Also, another little storyline here is that it's it's one play style at quarterback with Zach Wilson who can run around and extend plays against the guy, Mac Jones, who's very immobile, who can't run around, cannot extend plays. A lot of storylines here that are interesting, and uh, this one's going to be a lot of fun. Patriots at Jets. Washington plays at Indy. It's going to be very interesting. Carson Wentz on the road against his former football team that dumped him. Oh, and by the way, Indy just benched the guy they replaced him with, Matt Ryan, in favor of Sam Ellinger. A lot of juicy drama here. Hopefully it's a fun game. Keep your eye on what kind of interaction does Frank Reich have with his former quarterback, Carson Wentz. They were really close, and I don't know that Frank Reich wanted to get rid of Carson Wentz. Did they handshake and hug. How does the owner feel about that? Because the owner, Jim Irsay, basically ran Carson Wentz out of town. I am openly rooting for Washington this weekend because I want to see Carson Wentz get revenge against the team that I think scapegoated him. They acted like Carson Wentz was the problem and all we got to do is get Matt Ryan and all our problems are going to be solved. Clearly, that was absolutely wrong. And I want to see Carson Wentz throw like seven touchdown passes and just completely embarrass Indianapolis this weekend. He might have a bad year. He might have a terrible... I don't really care. But this is the Super Bowl for Carson Wentz. And I, because I'm petty, (laughs) Carson Wentz is hurt. Of course he is, right? But I don't think he's even playing this week. Let me look this up. I don't think Carson Wentz is playing. I I, I just... I saw that on the schedule. I was like, oh, good. I've 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 been looking forward to Carson Wentz playing at Indy. I don't... I don't think Carson... Carson Wentz... I don't think he's playing this weekend. So he suffered a fractured ring finger. He's on the injured reserve. So he's, (laughs) oh my God, I did a whole segment. I got to, I got to make a little amendment here. Um, Carson Wentz is not playing in the Colts game, which I, I I knew, I I knew he was hurt, but I I just, I've been so excited for weeks to see Carson play at Indy. He's not even going to play. Of course he's hurt. Oh my gosh. Carson Wentz, man. What does he do? Well, he's not very accurate. He's not a great athlete. He's never healthy. I've been excited for this Carson Wentz revenge game for like 
since the trade is announced. We're not going to see it. Okay. I, I'm, I'm genuinely sad about that. Dang it, man. Ah! Oh, it's so sad. And I think the genuine realization is kind of funny. So I'll, I'll leave this in. I'll have to go back and splice this into the preview. But dang it, man. Ah! I cannot believe Carson Wentz isn't playing against Indy, man. Like, ah! I wanted to see... I literally been waiting all year for Carson Wentz at Indy. And I... I knew he got hurt, but I forgot he's on the IR and he's not going to play. Like, oh, oh, man. Taylor Henneke gets Sam Ellinger. That's the matchup. <laughs> Great. Wow. So excited for that game. Actually, I, I legitimately am. I think <laughs> Sam Ellinger is interesting. How is he going to play? I don't know. We'll find out. But, man, am I bummed. I wanted Carson to get revenge against his former team, and he won't. How about Giants at Seattle? Uh, the Giants are 6-1. and one. They've won four games in a row. The question is, can they keep winning? Because Seattle's pretty decent. They're, they're a good football team. A lot of young players. They're, you know, their rookie draft class is incredible. Game is at Seattle. That's a long flight for New York. Um, and I love watching Seattle's quarterback, Geno Smith. I think this game, Giants at Seattle, is going to be fun and interesting and full of good storylines and just a really compelling game that hopefully is going to have a good finish because I... I would love... This is a game I'm going to circle and going to watch for sure, and I just really, really hope it's good. Packers at Buffalo is big. It's Sunday night football. It's interesting because Green Bay's in trouble. Green Bay's probably going to lose and fall to three and five. They've never lost five games during the regular season under their head coach, currently Matt LaFleur. Uh, they went 13 and three, 13 and three, then 13 and four last year with a game added. If they lose here, then Green Bay is locked into having the worst record they've ever had under Matt LaFleur. Uh, Green Bay is also really limited at receiver. So it's Sunday Night Football. Josh Allen is fun to watch. I'm going to watch this game. It's going to be awesome. But I I don't know that the Packers are going to win. In fact, I think the Packers are in trouble. I reserve the right to see what happens because maybe Aaron Rodgers surprises people in this game and somehow finds a way to win because he's still Aaron Rodgers. But... Being Aaron Rodgers hasn't done great for him so far this year. Like, I don't think he can save the Packers. I think they need legitimately a lot more receiving weapons. And we'll see what happens. But I think I think my prediction here, obviously, is that Buffalo is going to beat Green Bay on Sunday Night Football. In fact, let's commit to that. I'm predicting they're going to win. And I'd, I'd be very surprised if Buffalo lost, actually, at home to a much less talented Green Bay team. Miami at Detroit is interesting. Uh, I think we could see an offensive explosion from the Miami Dolphins. Tua throwing to Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddell against a really bad defense in Detroit. Literally in Detroit because they're at Detroit on the road. Um, you know, I, I just keep eye on that game. I think Tua could just absolutely dominate and have a great, beautiful game. And uh, we'll see what happens. I, you know, I, I'd love to see Jared Goff fight back. And maybe we'll see a shootout, 45-42 to 42 or something like that. Last-second field goal wins. But... I think Miami's going to have a great, great offensive day on the road this week at Detroit. Uh, Bears against Dallas is really interesting. Chicago made progress on offense last week on Monday Night Football against the New England Patriots. Justin Fields played well. I'm hoping to see the Bears offense continue uh, and get better. They got a tough task here because Dallas has a good defense and particularly a good pass rush. So, you're not going to be able to see the Bears keep Justin Fields in the pocket and ha have success at all. 
Last week against New England, they did a great job moving the pocket, calling bootlegs, calling sprint outs, getting Justin Fields on the move and on the perimeter. They're going to have to do that this weekend, and it still might not be enough. My fear is that we're going to see Justin Fields get hit a ton and get dominated, but I, I, it's a science experiment. I cannot wait to see what happens between uh, Chicago and Dallas, particularly the Bears' offense against the Dallas defense. Plus, is Dak Prescott the Cowboys quarterback against a pretty solid Bears defense? So all around... Bears at Dallas is a really, really fun matchup, in my opinion. We also have Arizona at Minnesota. The Vikings are 5-1 and one coming off of their bye week, so they've had a lot of time to prepare for this game. And Arizona needs this win, man. Arizona's 3-4. and four. I'm curious what kind of impact Arizona receiver DeAndre Hopkins is going to make in this game. But it feels like a big game. I hope it's dramatic. I hope it's fun. has a great ending. Um, but Arizona, man... You know, three and four, season on the line, in my opinion. You can't follow the three and five, and then gets a really bad hole. Uh, I, I want to see, I don't really care if Arizona wins or not, but they got to play well and they got to be really competitive. And if they're not, and then the losing continues, eventually I think they're going to end up firing their head coach, Cliff Kingsbury. So this could be a turning point one way or the other for Arizona and how their season goes the rest of the year. The Raiders play at New Orleans. Um, the Raiders are two and four. Every loss has been by one score or less for the Raiders. And the Saints are two and five. They're starting Andy Dalton at quarterback who, is he still their backup? Like, is Jameis hurt or are they just benching him? It's really unclear what's going on in New Orleans. Their quarterback situation is a mess. They need a new quarterback. They've got problems everywhere. New Orleans is down as a team. So I am looking for the Raiders to show they're better than their two and four record would suggest, hey, you lost a bunch of close games, but they got talent. I think they're a good football team. Let's see what happens with the Raiders at New Orleans. I want to see the Raiders win here. Two teams have a bye week this week during NFL Week 8. Kansas City doesn't play, and the LA Chargers do not play. They need it badly. LA needs to get healthy. How about, uh, here's a fun title for this, this game. Weird Wilson goes to London. That'd be the movie if we made a movie about this this trip. Uh, the Broncos play Jacksonville in London. Both teams are two and five. And I, I want to see Trevor Lawrence and the Jaguars do well and, and win here. It's a great opportunity for the Jaguars to win. Russell Wilson, he's going to start. Uh, the guy is a, just a, a weirdo. Like, he just seems totally unrelatable. And the working out on the plane story, you can justify it. You know, he's committed to the craft, but to be working out in the aisle where your teammates are sleeping, I hope that report is vastly overrated and, and not quite what we think. Like, maybe we don't have the full story. Someday, though, when it's all said and done and Russ leaves Denver, we're going to start hearing about what really went on with Russ in Denver, and I, I don't think it's all good. So, you know, keep your eye on this game just because it's it's bad and interesting what's going on with Russell Wilson in Denver. You got the Steelers at Philly. I always like watching the Pittsburgh Steelers rookie quarterback, Kenny Pickett. He's fun. He's exciting. I love the guy. Plus, on the other side, Philly is really good. They're 6-0. and Philly's fun to watch all around. They run the ball creatively in, in fun ways. Jalen Hurts is one of my favorite quarterbacks in the NFL. It's an interesting game, and the question is, can Philly stay undefeated? They, they can for sure. They can win this game. But I want to see what what's Pittsburgh made of. Can Pittsburgh challenge a really good Philadelphia team? We'll see what happens. And is Robert Quinn going to play is an interesting storyline. Robert Quinn plays defensive line. I would imagine 
There's not a lot to learn in the playbook for defensive linemen, not really. Uh, I think he can come in and play week one and make an impact at first week with his new team, and we'll see what happens there. Um, Titans at Texans is not that interesting to me. Tennessee at Houston, like, eh. I guess it's the best team, Tennessee, in that division, and it's probably the worst team in the division, uh, Houston. But the gap isn't that crazy big anyway. Tennessee, they're, you know, they started 0-2. Now they're 4-2. and They've won four in a row. I'd be disappointed, to be honest, if Tennessee lost this game because I think they're going to win the division and they're on a good trajectory. And a five-game winning streak would be really cool for the Houston Texans. Or for, <laughs> sorry, excuse me, the Tennessee Titans. A five-game winning streak would be great for them. 49ers at Rams is a solid matchup. Both teams have three wins. Um, what I'm pumped about in this game is to watch Christian McCaffrey after a week of practice with the 49ers. I think Christian McCaffrey is going to play even more than he did last week and have a little more of an impact. Atlanta against Carolina. Eh, you know, Atlanta, they're three and four. Uh, Carolina is two and five. I believe the winner ends up first in the AFC, uh, sorry, in the NFC South, this division. But if Atlanta and Marcus Mariota wins, they'll be four and four and will have a better record than Tampa. They'll be first in that division. I like that thought. I like Marcus Mariota. I'm openly rooting for them. I want to see Atlanta win here uh, and give Tampa a run for their money down the stretch as the year goes on. Monday night football is Cincinnati at the Browns, the last game I need to talk about. Uh, The Bengals need to win to keep competing with the Ravens in this division. Uh, but it's a fun opportunity, I think, to watch Joe Burrow play. His top receiver, Jamar Chase, is not going to play. He's injured and going to miss four to six weeks with a hip injury. So keep around that. How does Joe Burrow play without Jamar Chase? But um, Bengals-Browns, they've played a lot of good, fun, exciting games in the last couple of years. And I think this could be another one. You know, I, the battle for Ohio is actually regularly a, a competitive, fun game. Especially no Jamar Chase. Like I, I don't think it's a shoe-in that Cincinnati wins this game on Monday night. And uh, I'm hoping for an interesting, good game. All right. uh, Let's answer some more questions from Patreon. If you want to write in and submit questions on Patreon, you go to patreon.com forward slash Zach Shomler. You donate a dollar a month. You can give more if you want to. Please do. Literally pays my car insurance. Um, I do not guarantee to read your question on the show if you submit one on Patreon, but I do guarantee to look at every single question with my eyeballs and pick the top couple to read on the show. Question number one today is from Luke. Luke says this. He says, Hey, Zach, love the content as always. It became news just this morning at the time of this comment that the Colts will bench Matt Ryan and start quarterback Sam Ellinger. My question is, do the Colts see something in Sam long-term or is this a move to tank for a quarterback in next year's draft? The Colts are 1-3-1 in their own division, so it's clear to me that the year is over. Uh, But is QB really the problem in Indy? Uh, they're tanking, man. I, I think there's hope that maybe Sam Ellinger can be kind of a diamond in the rough and go, oh, he's pretty good. If the young guy is good, that'd be awesome. They got to find out what they have in Sam Ellinger. But I, I don't think it's because they've got so much faith in Sam Ellinger. They're they're trying to win, and they're going to see what they have before they do that. But Matt Ryan's old, and um, you know, I, I really want to see Frank Reich's interaction with Carson Wentz on Sunday. What kind of? I hope they have a hug and have a good relationship still. Uh, it was tough the way the owner ran Carson Wentz out of the out of that uh, organization. But um, uh, that game, man, Washington at Colts this weekend, exciting. Sam Ellinger for the first time, Carson on the road at his former team. That'll be fun to watch. Ian K has a similar question. Ian K says, Zach, why are the Colts blaming Matt Ryan for their problems? Sure, he's had some bad games, but 
the obvious issue on this team is that their offensive line and wide receivers are terrible. Do you think they're moving on to Sam Ellinger to tank for a top quarterback? Or is he secretly really good? The entire situation is bizarre to me because they aren't even that far behind the Titans. Um, yeah, it is weird. They're like, they're just conceding the division to Tennessee, it feels like. Maybe Sam Ellinger is secretly really good. Maybe they know something I don't. I mean, I, I always try to give players a chance, but Matt Ryan is old. They've given up on him, and it feels certainly like the Colts are tanking. Uh, also, you know, it's it's always easier to blame the quarterback. That's a simple, easy, quick fix, right? And people love uh, shortcuts and love the, the quick solution. Rebuilding your whole team isn't simple and easy. So if you watch the Colts, they get a new quarterback every year. And every year, this quarterback is finally the solution. And I'm over it. It's toxic. Um, I think it starts with the owner, Jim Irsay, who refuses to... Um, I, I, I'm... I'm jaded towards Jim Irsay. The way he ran Carson Wentz out of town, Carson Wentz wasn't an incredible quarterback, but he was good enough to win, and they they acted like he was the sole problem. They scapegoated him, which it it really it made me angry. It jaded me towards Jim Irsay a lot. Um, and if you watch the Colts, man, every year it's the same narrative. This new quarterback is our savior. He's the thing that's going to... Philip Rivers, Carson Wentz, Matt Ryan. It's like, okay, next year is going to be Mac Jones probably, <laughs> right? Like, I, I'm tired of it, man. I, You know, I, they got to rebuild their football team. Quarterback is not the only position on a football team, and Indy's got to stop mm-hmm. acting like that. Optimistic Cyclones fan writes in says, Hey, Zach, I'm devastated by the news that Brees Hall is out for the year. He played so well and was on track for Offensive Rookie of the Year. I hate that his spectacular year is cut short by a horrible injury. Do you think he'll be able to come back with the same speed and quickness that made him great, or will he be the next Christian McCaffrey in that he's always hurt and never be the same again? Uh, It's going to be an agonizing 11 months waiting for him to return. I fear any progress the Jets were making this year is now over, with arguably their best offensive weapon gone. What do you think? Um, Unfortunately, running backs get hurt, and... It's why you don't spend a ton of money on running backs and why you don't draft them in the first round. Um, He's got a torn ACL. It's unfortunate. I feel bad for the guy. Um, But the career of a running back is fleeting. Like, that's just the truth about running backs. And they rarely play well into their second contract. Losing him sucks. Um, But I think the Jets are going to survive here. Like, yeah, they they lost a big spark, and that's going to sink, and it's going to make their quarterback's life harder because having a great running game is always good for your young quarterback but it's not going to stop all their progress I mean still the guy to watch on the Jets is their quarterback Zach Wilson and uh, their offensive line is playing great and I think a lot of running backs could still do well and not without offensive line blocking for them and creating big holes and doing good stuff so it's a big loss but uh, it's a sustainable loss that will I think the Jets will still be okay Michael writes in with an interesting one Michael says, there are some football concepts I'm still unfamiliar with. And one of them is the, quote, utility player. Last Thursday was the first time I really watched Taysom Hill, and it kind of blew my mind seeing him get rapidly slotted in and out of full tight end and quarterback. Maybe this saves cap space or something, but it seems like a team theoretically would be better off with people dedicated to one position who can fine-tune that job. Then again, teams have made it to the Super Bowl with with suboptimal players, and I'm not familiar with Hill, maybe people even consider him great at all those roles. Do you think this is sustainable? 
Is this sustainable? And if you were an NFL team, what kind of position would you have to be in to consider having a jack of all trades, but maybe master of none? Michael, uh, I understand you're unfamiliar with with this this concept, but it's it's not one you should be familiar with because it's there's really no one like Taysom Hill in football. Taysom Hill is one of a kind. I can't think of any other player in the NFL that's going to swap back and forth between receiver, tight end, and quarterback. Like, that's just not going to happen. He, he's a wildcat quarterback, effectively. He throws deep balls sometimes, especially when Drew Brees was quarterback because he had a, a bigger arm and could throw farther. Like, he'll throw your Hail Marys and stuff. But um, it's this interesting experiment that's not going well for New Orleans. Uh, they're 2-5. and five. They're losing. And I, Michael, I... I don't think it's weird at all that you're not really familiar with the utility player because, again, there's no one like him in the NFL. And if I, like Josh Allen is an incredible quarterback, right? He's a big physical athlete. He could probably play tight end in the NFL. But I'm not putting Josh Allen back and forth between tight end and quarterback. That's insane. Uh, Logan Thomas plays tight end for Washington. He played quarterback in college. He was tight end. He's playing tight end, and he's only going to play tight end. I, what, what New Orleans is doing is just weird. They gave Taysom Hill a giant contract, and it's, I don't know how much they're really benefiting from it. Like, he's good. You throw him screen passes. He, he's great with the football in his hands. They're trying to do everything they can to use him as much as they can. And I like seeing him in the Wildcat sometimes. I think that does make sense, and he's a great, he's like a gadget player is what you call him. Um, but it's the same. He He's like... Debo Samuel plays receiver and running back. Taysom Hill played quarterback in college, so like he throws sometimes, and that's fine, but let's acknowledge he's a wildcat quarterback. He's not a full-time quarterback. He had a chance last year to become the franchise quarterback in New Orleans. Jameis got hurt. He played and didn't play good enough to maintain that role. All right, uh, Nasty the Samurai writes in. I always love that name, Nasty. Well done. Nasty says this. Um, get my notes in order. Nasty says, Hey, Zach, hope your day is going well. I'm wondering what your thoughts are on the new era of corners in the NFL. Do you think we will start to see more of an influx of quality corners coming into the NFL? It seems like there was much more of an abundance of good wide receivers as compared to corners for the last eight years or so, but the last two cornerback classes are actually looking really impressive now. Do you think that this trend will continue? Or were the last two classes just kind of a balancing factor for the cornerback position hierarchy in the NFL, seeing as a lot of the top corners are old? Um, isn't every position right now in the NFL getting new stars as the next generation of players comes in? Receiver, quarterback, running back, corner. Like, it's not a cornerback thing. Uh, although it is pretty interesting that some of the best corners in the NFL are, are younger guys. Sauce Gardner. Um, oh, what's the guy's name in Seattle? He's really good. I'm blanking on the... Uh, what's... Waldress? Why can't I remember his name right now? Hold on. Let me look it up. I want to get this right. Um, Seahawks rookie corner. He's he's a stud. He's playing so well. Uh, Tariq Wolin. He's awesome. Um, Patrick Sertan in Denver is probably the best corner in the NFL right now. So there are guys out there that are outstanding and young. I, I want to say this before I get it, just because I have, it's an opportunity to do this. Playing corner in the NFL is one of the toughest positions in football. The rules are set up to go against you. It's really hard to play corner because it's so easy to get penalties, whether it's holding or pass interference or whatever. 
Uh, it's an offensive game. Um, I wouldn't play corner if I was a, a young kid growing up. I'd want to play receiver. Play receiver or be a long snapper. Like those are those are two great ways to to get a job in, in football. Um, receivers are sorry, corners are usually guys who couldn't play receiver because their hands weren't good enough. Like that's it's a real thing. It's technical. It's difficult. Um, it's it's unfair because again the rules kind of oppose you. I, I think. Outside a quarterback, playing corner is literally the hardest position in all of football. And I just admire guys that take that that journey on and do well because it's it's so hard. And it's so easy to get roasted and embarrassed online because you get beat once and all people do is roast you. Oh, he's bad. He sucks. He got burned. It's like, okay, you go play corner. <laughs> like, it. there's not, not only is it really hard, it's harder than it's ever been. Like Deion Sanders played in a different era of corner where you could dominate and be a little more physical and have a little more, it was harder to get penalties. Like I just feel bad for corners who play in today's NFL because it is brutal and really, really difficult. Richmond writes in, I love this question. Richmond says, remember when LSU hired Brian Kelly from a small school called Notre Dame? <laughs> I'll be honest. I didn't expect a very good season from LSU this year. I was ex- expecting about, a six and six year, and the general consensus was that Notre Dame would still be a playoff contender this year. Here we are at the end of October with LSU already at six wins with a realistic chance of going nine and three during the regular season, while Notre Dame is sitting at four and three and can't afford a loss to Navy or Boston College if they want to make it to 500 on the year. There were questions about Brian Kelly and how he couldn't win a national title at Notre Dame as if he was limiting the program but was Notre Dame actually holding him back? Also on the LSU side, it's amazing how much of an improvement was made to the team's output just by introducing stability to the coaching staff. Dude, I love seeing Brian Kelly succeed. He's 6-2. and two, It's only year one. Brian Kelly leaving Notre Dame and going to LSU was an upgrade career-wise for him. And I, I couldn't believe people weren't more supportive of him and didn't really recognize that. I don't understand why Notre Dame is viewed as this incredible opportunity or this incredible football program. Notre Dame is so overrated. Brian Kelly elevated them. Think about South Bend, Indiana, where Notre Dame is. It's cold as heck. It's a religious college, which means that no offense to religious people, but it's a Catholic school. So there's all this BS you got to deal with mass and religious classes and just like not... Stuff. I, I I went to a religious college. I went to one, thankfully, that was it was Lutheran and they didn't care. They let you do whatever you want. You had to take one religious class and there wasn't a lot of control. But a lot of religious colleges have these really tough things to deal with. It's tough academically. I would never want to go to Notre Dame. I don't really under like someone offers you a scholarship to Notre Dame or Miami. I'm going to Miami, bro. I'm not going to cold. I don't want to be cold in December. I don't want to have hard classes. I'm trying to play football. I don't want to have all this restrictions and crap to deal with. I, I don't understand why Notre Dame. Notre Dame was good a long time ago, back when Rudy played, right? Like, it's been a, they haven't been an elite program in college football for a long time. They're aloof. They're overrated. They don't really realize what they are. They need to join a conference. Um, I love, love seeing Brian Kelly do well. Uh, people were like, Notre Dame isn't a stepping stone college. Why would he leave Notre Dame for LSU? No, no, no. Notre Dame isn't the the incredible opportunity that people believe it is. Uh, Tim writes in. Tim has a long one. It's 
I'm reading this because I, I appreciate what Tim has to say. I don't really have a lot. It's not really a question. It's more of a, co a comment, but I just, I like to hear Tim's perspective on this. Tim says, hey, Zach, I want to talk about the Patriots' supposed quarterback controversy. Everyone's going nuts over Bailey Zappi, but I think there's a large part of this that a lot of people are missing. A big chunk of the Patriots' training camp this summer was spent on redesigning the offense. They moved to incorporate more of an outside zone run scheme and worked on making more explosive plays by pushing the ball downfield. It did not immediately click in training camp, and a big story this summer was Bill and Mac reiterating they're going to be patient. This is the offense they think is best for the future, and we need to give it time. Anyone who followed the Patriots during summer was not at all surprised to see Mac and the offense struggle in the first couple of games, again, because they were changing the offense. Then Mac Jones got hurt, and Bailey Zappi came into the game. What changed was that the Patriots stopped asking so much of their quarterback, and it simplified the offense a ton. Bailey Zappi didn't have to make any ridiculously tight throws. He didn't push the ball downfield, but the offense looked better because they were doing what they already knew. Bill knows Mac Jones can do exactly what Bailey Zappi is doing right now. We saw Mac Jones be arguably the best rookie quarterback doing it last year, but I think Bill knows that type of conservative offense can't beat Kansas City and it can't beat Buffalo. So with Mac, he's trying to evolve the offense and Mac struggling. When Zappi plays, he's not thinking about the future Patriots offense. He's thinking about getting this fourth round pick through the game. Until Belichick starts asking Bailey Zappi to run the offense the same way he's asking Mac to, to me, there's no controversy. The Patriots are thinking about the future and they're okay with Mac Jones making mistakes this year with the new offense because clearly they think the change will be worth it. Tim, I, I love that's an insightful, great write-in. Thank you for writing in. Um, basically, you're saying, of course, Mac Jones is struggling. He's running a different offense, and Bailey's happy. And the Patriots are patient because they're making changes. I, I'm just regurgitating what you said, but I love it, and I, I value this write-in. Thank you for doing it, man. I, great insight. Andrew says, Zach, you said a few days ago that defenses should play zone coverage against Justin Fields. Bill Belichick called zone coverage against Justin Fields, and Bill Belichick got absolutely dog-walked. It was one of his most embarrassing losses from a coaching perspective. Um, it was awesome, wasn't it? I, I love to see that. You still can't play man coverage against Chicago, because if you do that, corners turn their back to Justin Fields, and he'll run around on you. You got to have a quarterback spy, but... Um, that Monday night football win over New England was a big game for Justin Fields because it showed he, Trubisky in Chicago, couldn't beat zone coverage. It was so frustrating to watch. Like over and over again, he struggled. And um, Justin Fields has struggled at times against zone coverage, but that's, this was a game where he had a breakthrough and he really played well. And I thought it was the most encouraging performance we've seen from Justin Fields in his entire NFL career. It was awesome. He ran around, he made plays, he beat zone coverage. Uh, he made the defense wrong basically every time he dropped back or rolled out or sprinted out or bootlegged out or whatever you want. Every time he was throwing, he forced the defense to be wrong. And <laughs> it was beautiful. It was Everything was in sync. Luke Getze, the play caller, did a great job. He was calling plays that put Justin in a position to be successful. Justin executed at a high level. I love to see it. And I, I think the sky is the limit for Justin Fields. And if they work that well together, Luke Getze and Justin Fields is going to be great. I'm worried that... Dallas is going to be rough because Dallas has got a great defensive line and the Bears have got a struggling offensive line. But after the Bears, after the Bears Dallas game, it's okay. They're going to get through that one. Be patient and let it take time because it's going to take time and they might struggle, particularly in this one. Andrew writes in. Andrew says, Zach, you said a few days ago. No, that was Andrews, wasn't it? 
Uh, Mitch writes in. Mitch says, Hi, Zach. Still loving the show. I'm very excited for your canopy to arrive and for you to set off on your grand adventure. I've been an avid SOS listener for a while, and I'm excited for this new development in your content. My question is, which stadiums are you most looking forward to attending a game in? I've only been to a game at SoFi, and while the stadium itself is awesome, fan atmosphere was lacking. Just curious to hear your thoughts. Yeah, fan atmosphere is most of what makes going to a cool stadium fun. Uh, I'll probably go to college games more than NFL games, because NFL games, I want to work and watch all the games, college games. I can more easily focus on a couple games and get away with that. Um, I'm also more excited to go to places than stadiums. I want to go to Tennessee and Texas and Florida and the Carolinas, but... um, at some point, I go to Fenway Park. Uh, I want to go to an LSU game at Death Valley. Again, college atmospheres are more attractive to me anyway. Um, but, yeah, we'll see what happens. That's that. Those are my, my thoughts there. I'd love to interview people maybe at football games. or I, I need to figure out how to collaborate. And collaborate meaning I want to interview normal people about life, about football, about their thoughts, the fans, whatever. I want to – Zach Shalmer Talk and the other podcast is a, is a place where I want to do that. And uh, we'll have fun with that for sure. Elias writes in, I have a short answer here. Hey, Zach, first time, long time. In your professional opinion, who is the best quarterback in the AFC South? Personally, I would think it's Trevor Lawrence, but you might have seen something else. What are your thoughts? Elias, hope I'm saying your name right. Thanks for writing in for the first time. Welcome in. That's awesome. Um, Short answer here. I think currently Ryan Tannehill is actually the best quarterback in the AFC South. He's a quarterback for the Tennessee Titans. He's not sexy. He's not incredible, but he's, he's really good on third down. Um, he can make plays running around. I think Ryan Tannehill is never going to be a, probably even ever a top 10 quarterback, but he's like top 50. Like he's very solid. Right. And I think he does. He's actually surprisingly good in clutch moments. And currently I would say Ryan Tannehill is still better than Trevor Lawrence. Long-term, eventually Trevor Lawrence is going to be the best quarterback in that division. But right now it's still Ryan Tannehill. And I, I think it'd be, uh, unfair to Ryan Tannehill to say that Trevor Lawrence was currently the best quarterback in that, in that division because it's just not true, and it, it would be totally, I think, even disrespectful to the work that Ryan Tannehill does week in and week out to put his team in a good position. And he's nowhere near Mahomes or Josh Allen, but he's certainly a respectable quarterback who does good work and uh, shouldn't be overlooked or, or disrespected in any way. Caleb writes in. Caleb says, Hey, Zach, hope you're all right. I haven't watched much football this year, and I am so confused as to why the NFC East is looking really strong. Is there a common theme to this division's success, or is it more complex? Not too long ago, the NFC East had a historically bad year. Um, I mean, look, Philly's legitimately really good. They've got a good offensive line, a good defensive line. Jalen Hurts just gets better and better. They added uh, A.J. Brown. They've got an awesome receiving core. Their coaching staff is great. Like, the Philly's just a great football team. They're 6-0, the best team in football record-wise. I don't think they're better than Buffalo or Kansas City, but certainly they've got a better record, and I'd be surprised if Philly didn't represent the NFC in the Super Bowl at this point. Um, The Giants are well-coached, man. They're not a a flashy team, but they do the little stuff right, and they're making good in-game decisions, way better than Nathaniel Hackett in Denver. The Giants are well-coached. That's why they're 6-1. And Dallas has a good defense. So um, that's what's going on in the NFC East. Carson Wentz, I still have hope he can be the right quarterback in in Washington, but I'm kind of over Carson because he's always hurt. Um, he is... I just realized this. I've been talking about Carson Wentz 
going on the road at Indy this weekend. <laughs> Carson Wentz is hurt. Of course he is, right? But I don't think he's even playing this week. Let me look this up. I don't think Carson Wentz is playing. I, I, I just I saw that on the schedule. I was like, oh, good. I've been, I've, been, I've been looking forward to Carson Wentz playing at Indy. I don't, I don't think Carson, Carson Wentz Colts. I don't think he's playing this weekend. Yeah, he's going to miss the game. Dang. So he, he suffered a fractured ring finger. Um, and I, I don't think he's going to play this weekend, which is hilarious. Dang it, man. I, I'm trying to find more information here. No, he's on the injured reserve, so he's... <laughs> oh, my God, I did a whole segment. I got I to gotta make a little amendment here. Um, Carson Wentz is not playing in the Colts game, which I, I, I knew, I, I knew he was hurt, but I, I just, I've been so excited for weeks to see Carson play at Indy. He's not even going to play. Of course he's hurt. Oh my gosh. Carson Wentz, man. What does he do? Well, he's not very accurate. He's not a great athlete. He's never healthy. <laughs> I've been excited for this Carson Wentz revenge game for like, since the trade is announced. We're not going to see it. Okay, I, I'm I'm genuinely sad about that. I gotta go. I gotta go put that back in the beginning. Dang it, man! Ah, how sad. I think I'm gonna. I think what I'm gonna do is just leave it in, and then like put a postscript in. I'll probably play this segment exactly of the podcast twice, actually, because uh, oh, it's so sad. And I think the genuine realization is kind of funny. So I'll, I'll leave this in. I'll have to go back and splice this into the preview. But dang it, man. Ah, I'm so sad. Um, let's move on. Nathan writes in. Nathan says, Zach, the... Well, Zach says... No, Nathan says. Nathan says, Zach, are the Saints screwed for this upcoming draft? Why did we get rid of our first-round pick? Sad face. I don't watch a lot of college, but are there any good quarterbacks in the next draft? I'm hoping there are. Uh, the Saints are going to miss out on a lot of good quarterbacks in this upcoming draft class. I'm curious who their quarterback is going to be next year. Maybe they can get someone in the second round or third round. I don't know. But maybe in 2024, they can draft Caleb Williams. But to not have a first-round pick this year is devastating for the Saints. Uh, it's going to to Philly, which uh, not like the Eagles need another great draft pick. So, oh, man. Um, Nathan, I'm sorry you're a Saints fan. It's brutal. It's painful. I, I'm sad for you guys. It's raining really hard. I, I would imagine you can hear the rain now. When the show started, you probably couldn't hear it. You probably can now. The final news I want to talk about before I check what else is going on in the NFL. Uh, Shaq Barrett, the Tampa edge rusher, Taurus Achilles is out for the year. Um, let's see. Any more NFL news going on? Uh, Debo Samuel isn't playing against the Rams. That's kind of it, really. There's no big trades. Michael Thomas and Jarvis Landry weren't playing against the Raiders. Of course, of course, Michael Thomas. Is Michael Thomas ever going to play football again? The dude is always hurt. He got a massive contract and then noped out of every game ever after that. I cannot believe Carson Wentz isn't playing against Washington or against Indy, man. Like, ugh. I wanted to see. I literally been waiting all year for Carson Wentz at Indy. And I, I, I knew he got hurt, but I forgot he's on the IR and he's not going to play. Like, ugh. Oh, man. Taylor Henneke gets Sam Ellinger. That's the matchup. <laughs> Great. Wow. So excited for that game. Actually, I, I legitimately am. I think 
<laughs> Sam Ellinger is interesting. How is he going to play? I don't know. We'll find out. But man, am I bummed. I wanted Carson to get revenge against his former team, and he won't. Great. All right, guys. My name is Zach Schaumler. I love you. I appreciate you. Thank you for tuning in. Have a great day. And uh, ba-dum-bum-bam. Happy Friday. We are done.